Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio, in partnership with iHeartRadio. It all boils back down to trying to erase us from public existence. They're saying, oh, you can't be in sports because you have an advantage. And we say, okay, well, if we can get the care when we want to, that advantage which really doesn't exist in the first place. But just entertaining you, this hypothetical advantage. Imagined. This advantage. imagined advantage wouldn't even exist if we can get the health care that we want before puberty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Laverne Cox Show. My name is Laverne Cox. In 2013, when Orange is the New Black premiered on Netflix, There were no trans actors with recurring roles on television at the time. And it almost feels like a cliche. But all the stories I've heard from people all over the world about how the characters I played on television have helped them see themselves more, helped family members of theirs see them and accept them, um, given people courage to come out as trans to transition representation matters. And speaking of representation mattering, today's guest is an openly transgender person who transitioned as a child. And there is so much misinformation and propaganda about children transitioning. And I think it's so important for us to hear from trans people and particularly hear from trans young people and hear from people who transitioned as kids. She is an historic figure already at the age of 25, and she is just so incredibly delightful. Our guest for today is Nicole Maines. Nicole Maines is an actress and transgender rights activist. Before her acting career, she was the anonymous plaintiff in the Maine Supreme Court case Doe versus Regional School Unit 26. The ruling in 2014 supporting bathroom choices for transgender students was the first ruling of its kind by state court. As an actress, Nicole is best known for playing TV's first transgender superhero on the CW series Supergirl a role that will cross over onto the next season of The Flash. Maines has been nominated for a Glad Media Award and was a Variety Magazine's Power of Young Hollywood and Power Pride honoree. For her activism, Maines is an Upstander Award honoree given by the LGBTQ plus advocacy group, The Human Rights Campaign. On top of all this, she is also a graphic novelist for DC Comics and has co-written a New York Times bestseller, Becoming Nicole, The Transformation of an American Family. 
please enjoy my conversation with Nicole Maines. This episode was recorded prior to the SAG after strike. Hello, Nicole Maines. Welcome Hi. to the podcast. How are you feeling? I am feeling so excited. I am so happy to finally be talking to you and having this conversation. And thank you very much for having me. Thank you. We will definitely have one offline. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to t- let folks know how we met for the first time. You thought I didn't remember. Oh, but yeah. it, there's a wonderful HBO documentary called The Trans yeah. List that um, was co-directed by Janet Mock. Mm-hmm. And when I went to do my interview, you were leaving. Yeah. And I believe you had blue hair at the time. Thank you very much. It was green. It was green. You yeah. had green hair at the time and you were leaving. And of course, I knew who you were because of your case in Maine. Yeah. And this is before you were acting. And I don't know. What do you remember about the trans list in that in that moment in your life? Oh, I mean, I remember being the sickest I have ever been when we were recording that. And so watching wow. it, when we watched it back at the premiere, I was like, wow, I sound like I'm about an inch away from death but I remember being so excited to do it and I think that was the first time I met Janet too mm-hmm. um but it was I had a really great time doing that interview because that was one of the first times I remember that I had gotten to tell my own story mm. and I had gotten to use my own voice and my own words and I mean you know everyone's constantly controlling the narrative around us and and constantly speaking over us and speaking for us and telling our stories and especially as a trans youth it was always how old were you at the time so this was 2015 2016 so yeah. you would have been 17 18 oh my goodness okay 17, 18. wow yeah so so that was one of the first times that I had really gotten to say what I wanted to say and and in my way mm-hmm. um, and that was really empowering do you remember what you said? in that interview that like you really needed to say and wanted to say for a long time. I mean, we knew you because of the case mm-hmm. Doe versus um, Regional School Unit 26. What did you feel like you needed to say in that um, documentary more than anything else? I mean, the thing that had always been on my mind, and, and this was a, a journey that had started actually long before then, but really culminated in the fifth grade when everything, you know, when shit hit the fan. Um, am I allowed to curse? Yes, absolutely. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> oh, curse away. Gonna be, oh, this is going to be a long interview. I'm going to talk about trans rights and can't curse. Um, <laughs> but I remember when all the shit hit the fan and the thought that was just like constantly going through my head was like, what is everybody getting so up in arms about? I just want to go use the bathroom. I These are the girls who have been my friends. These are the girls who I have had sleepovers with, who I have shared a bed with. Um, Mm. No one was talking to me. No one was talking to my friends. Everybody was getting these accounts and and opinions from folks I didn't have classes with, folks who I didn't know. And doing that interview for me, I was able to finally just say like, what is the big effing deal? Like, 
Yeah. What is going on? I felt like I was in the twilight zone. So we should go back a little bit. Um, you are obviously trans and you transitioned as a child. Yeah. And I think if I recall correctly in doing research, it was like three years old, you told your parents. Yeah, three or four years old. And you have an identical twin. I have an identical twin um, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit about that process of chatting with your parents mm-hmm. and the age? And you were like, this is not this whole assigned male at birth thing yeah. isn't really working for me. I mean, I... And so I get so fired up over any time people talk about the grooming or talking about, oh, who who made you this way? Who trans you? And I just I'm like, I, I feel that I am such a like perfect case of like nobody told me I I did all of the things that people want us to do. Grow up in a perfectly nuclear household, grow up, you know, in a rural, small town, conservative. My dad was a Republican. You know, I, I feel like we did all the things we were supposed to do. And I still had this instinctual feeling of difference. And as soon as I was able to tell the societal differences between girls and boys, I knew where on that spectrum I was falling. And I knew where on that spectrum my brother was falling. And he was kind of my control group through all of it. Because I was like, okay, Mm. I see how he's interacting with the world around us i see and i mean you know identical twins everyone wanted us to be clones which is i've always thought is fucking weird i know it's <laughs> that's a whole other podcast super weird um, but i was like i am not the same as him i am having a different relationship with all of these things and you knew who you were i think the biggest piece is that you knew at three years old, who you were. And as soon as you could tell someone, you did. And I think that is when we look at all the sort of propaganda around right now around trans kids, we're missing that. And and your process around socially transitioning. um, I mean, there's so much misinformation and misconceptions about like trans kids and what happens. And I, you know, I'm not into focusing on medical transition. I think that stuff is private. Yeah. But what do you want to say about your social transition, transition mm-hmm. as a child, what that evolution was like? And then, you know, let's talk yeah. about fifth grade when the shit was fan. Well, I think before I say that, I want to say the amazing and remarkable thing about children is this innocent bravery, I think, that they all had. And mm-hmm. like you said, when as soon as I could say something, I did because hate is learned bigotry is learned the the two perfectly shaped male and female boxes are learned for me it was such an instinctual natural thing and i did not know that there was anything wrong i'm using air quotes for those listening um anything wrong with what i was feeling i just had felt like oh okay I will bring this to my parents because clearly my all-knowing protective parents will know what to do, certainly. Mm-hmm. And it was through people's reactions that I realized, oh, is this not a normal thing? But when we're talking about other people's reactions, other kids were not the ones with the problems. Before I started socially transitioning, um, it was part of my introduction. I would say, hi, my name's Wyatt. I'm a boy who wants to be a girl. What's your name? And someone would say, hi, I'm Ryan. I like the color red in fire trucks. It was on the same, that same level of normalcy wow. for me. How old were you when when this when you would introduce yourself this way? Oh, this was like first grade because I was at a new school and wow. nobody knew the situation, and I just wanted everyone to know that I was like this. 
Wow. And the kids, you know, it's so funny. Years ago, a dear friend of mine, uh, Mila, and I'll say Mila, Mila Jam, um, I've known her since before she transitioned mm-hmm. and she um, she toured in Rent. So she does musicals and she did musicals, still does. And she's a recording artist and she had done a musical before she transitioned. And then after she transitioned, the director wanted to bring her back, but now playing a, a, a woman's role. And Mila had met the director's daughter mm-hmm. um, before she transitioned. And so she sees the daughter again and the and the director says, oh, this is Mila. She used to be, you know, blah, blah. And she's a girl now. And I think the, her daughter was like, you know, six years old. She's like, oh, cool. Let's play. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like. It's so remarkably uninteresting to kids. Yeah. They so don't care. It's so boring. Unless they're taught, unless they're taught to care and yeah. taught that it's an issue, exactly. right? That hatred is learned. Um, I just I love telling that story because it was just like, okay, let's play. It wasn't like yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I was like, getting I was getting lessons from the other girls how to be a girl. Mm. I remember being in kindergarten, and all my friends were girls, and my best friend Cassandra was teaching me that girls don't use paper towels to dry their hands; they like shake them off. Which is, I don't think true. But I don't think that's a girl thing. <laughs> I think Cassandra was a little messy. But I was like, I was eating it up. And I was like, yeah, totally, for sure. Because I was learning the rules of girlhood or, you know, whatever Cassandra's rules of girlhood were in kindergarten um, from other girls. And, they, and it was never a problem. There was nothing wrong with it. They hadn't learned it yet. So all through elementary school, everything is okay. So you're openly trans. And then in fifth grade, there was the grandparent of one of the students who had an issue. Can you tell what happened? So I did my social transition really, really slow out of consideration for the straight. (laughs) And so like every year we would do, okay, now you're going to start growing your hair out. Next year you can wear pink. Next year and so on and so forth. And by the time I was in fifth grade, I had fully socially transitioned. That's when I started going by Nicole. Now, but were you in? Were you doing therapy? Were you doing? Oh yeah, lots of therapy. Because I know your parents. Because your I know your dad, who is Republican, was like really not on board. Yeah. And then he eventually got on board. So you were mm-hmm. in therapy, right? In therapy from second grade. Yeah. So you're just to let people know, part of your gender affirming care as a child was therapy. Yeah. Pre-puberty. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That was your gender affirming care. Therapy. In the combination with the therapy. And then as you get older, we start to talk about possibility being a candidate for medical transition, which not everybody may want to do or be right for or whatever um, the case may be. Um, but therapy from very, very young. Yes. Wonderful. So this was something. So so the narrative that all of a sudden, like, you know, a, ch- a child decides and then like oh, next yeah, week, there, <laughs> that's not happening. If only was that easy, huh? I know, right? That's not happening. No. And then there's, girl, the health insurance and the expense of it. Anyway, so, okay. So yeah. I just want you to get that out of the way. So you're in fifth grade. So talk to me. Yeah. So fifth grade, I fully transitioned. I'm going by Nicole. Um, and the big, like, marker in our elementary school to kind of like get us ready for middle school was now the bathrooms are multi-stall and because you know you in the grade school you have like the just one male and one female bathroom in in the classroom and so now I'm using the multi-stall bathroom with all the other girls and everything's fine and so I have another student in my class whose grandfather was a member of this special interest Christian right group called, at the time, I think they've changed their name, that was called the Christian Civic League of Maine. And he had caught wind 
from his grandson that I was trans and his grandfather, of course, lost his ship and the group lost their ship. And so they did a couple of things. First, they pressured the school and they said, we are going to sue you if you keep letting this happen. This happened, meaning you using the girls bathroom. Yes. And the second thing is they used his grandson as a political pawn, this fifth grade boy as a political pawn and had him follow me into the girls bathroom. And when the teacher went to pull him out of the bathroom and obviously he got in trouble, he said, well, I'm just a girl using the girls bathroom. And that was the basis of their claim. They were like, well, why can this boy use the girls room and not this boy? And that was the whole thing. And this was, of course, when I began transitioning, there was still hardly any information about trans adults. So this is fifth grade. So you're about 10 years old. So this is Mm -hmm. 2007. Yep. Roughly. 2007. 2007. So there's still not a lot of information about trans folks and especially not about trans children. Um, So the school completely buckled. And we had had such an amazing relationship with the school moving up until this point. Um, because mm-hmm. like I said, we were very considerate of the straight and we made sure that everyone was communicating. If people had questions, we could talk about it. And we were all doing this in a way where everyone was comfortable. And the school completely did a 180 and they said, okay, well, if Nicole using the girls bathroom is the problem, no, no problem. We're, we're, we'll have her use the staff bathroom. Mm-hmm. How did that make you feel? Because there's, there's, um, I mean, Gavin Grimm's case, mm-hmm. there have been many cases of trans kids yeah. that becomes the solution that they use a staff bathroom. How did that make you feel as a fifth grader to be put in that position? Confused. Confused because I had been doing everything right. I was a good kid and I didn't quite know what to make of it. I remember, I remember every moment of him going into the bathroom. And then I remember being in the guidance counselor's office with my two friends. Mm-hmm. And they had told me that he was calling me a faggot behind my back. And he had said mm. that my grandpappy says we don't have to have any faggots in our school. So then, uh, um, um, oh, 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 I just, I mean, hello. My own trauma, I think, is coming up. Oh, yeah. So we don't have to have any of the F words in our school, meaning that the goal was to get you out of the school? I don't know. It seems to be implied, but anyway. Yeah, I honestly have never, I honestly have never thought about their their end game. Um, And honestly, I'm not sure if they had one. I think Mm -hmm. that it was a a short-sighted, hateful little stint to feel like they had some power over somebody, which is what it all is at the end of the day. It's always about making sure that you are above somebody else and that there is always somebody underneath you whose neck you can step on mm-hmm. and displaying that power. So I don't know what they wanted. I don't care what they wanted because that was the beginning of my life coming apart. And everything that my family had done started coming apart. How did it come apart? What happened? So people pick up on the examples set by their leaders. And when you start treating a student in a way or treating anybody in a way that suggests, hey, they are not fit to be kept in the same public spaces as you. Mm -hmm. They have to be kept in a separate bathroom. They have to be kept away from everybody else. 
that is a, a very powerful message that people pick up on. Mm-hmm. We started experiencing harassment from folks we had never had a problem with. So up until this point, everything is going fine. Everything is going great. And well, it, I mean, you know, there are always assholes, but it was yeah. it was never worse than, you know, a, a girl on the bus used to call me it on the way home. And that was traumatizing and fun. But um, I called her a dumbass in fourth grade and that shut her up pretty good. Um, but that was the, the just childish bullying was the worst of it. And and now this had propelled it into this public space where now there are news bands outside of school and now everybody's talking about it and now it's become this topic of conversation in the community mm. and mm. it gets to the point where we can't go to see the movies without the whispers and the stares and the pointing and so you're this is maine so i'm mm-hmm. assuming it's not a big community no not at all Do I have, is there some misconception about maine oh okay. god no no it's more more trees than people it's wow. very, very small, very tight knit, and it it just sent a shockwave through the community. And my parents did their best to to shield my brother and I from that because their goal was always to have us have as normal a childhood as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And when this happened, it just blew the door off its hinges. And I remember we we went to some play or I think it was The Sound of Music, we went to watch a performance at the high school Mm -hmm. that did not have gender neutral bathrooms. And so intermission, I'm going into the girls' bathroom and classmates of mine were coming out of it, classmates who I never had a problem with, who I had been considering friends. And they said, no, you can't go in there. That's not for you. You're not supposed to be in there. And I was like, what the hell? Mm. So I also called her a dumbass and I won it anyway. So, so this, so I think part of what I'm hearing is that this stigma, and this is deep, this is, thank you so much for sharing this. Mm-hmm. What had been smooth sailing up, up until fifth grade, yeah. when a big stink was made about it, all of a sudden the community followed suit. Yeah. And then what was, relatively normal for most of the other kids, you being the girl that you are, Mm -hmm. became something that was stigmatized and then you were ostracized. And so I think what people should understand from your story and what's happening with all these anti-trans bills targeting children Mm -hmm. is that it is fostering an environment where we're going to be even more stigmatized. normalizing hate. And then like everybody policing you and Mm -hmm. trying to make you feel other. First of all, it's creating mountains out of molehills, as my third grade teacher would always say. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you said, fostering an environment of, of hatred. And it's it's normalizing hate, which is something that I don't think anyone in America is a stranger to, especially after our last commander in chief. Um, and that's why that was such a difficult time for me. Um, the 2016 election, because it was so much of like what I had grown up with mm-hmm. and it was, and I, I saw it happening all over again. It was, I, I see how people follow the leader and mm-hmm. it's so important that our, leaders and and our policymakers and our legislators set good examples and 
and lead with compassion and empathy and seeing what they're doing now is so, first of all, disgraceful. Second of all, just, I don't understand how we have not set a higher bar for our country, but that's another conversation. Well, I think we're just in some major backlash against mm-hmm. trans visibility right now. We're being scapegoated. This is a good time to take a little break. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Okay, we're back. I think it's important to talk about the lawsuit that you and your family filed against the school and eventually won. And it's important to note that this is the first time that court decided that it was a violation of human rights law Mm -hmm. to ban a trans person from the bathroom that they um, felt like they could use. And this happened in Maine, and this case was decided in 2013. So did you start the lawsuit in 2007, and then it finally... (laughs) Because you were, this is years later. This started in 2008 or 2009. I think we filed a suit after sixth grade because we continued trying Mm -hmm. to work with the school. And Mm -hmm. when I went into middle school, they gave me a bodyguard and they called it the eyes on program. And what that was, was a grown adult following me around from class to class, basically there to make sure that I used the staff bathroom to make sure that I didn't go in the girls bathroom. And they said it was for my safety. And of course, I knew that was a, that was a crock of shit. But if I went up to go to the bathroom, the teacher would stop me at the door and tell me to wait for whoever was following me that day because it was always different. Can I pause, Nicole? You're talking about this so matter-of-factly. I have to. And I guess this is just your life. I'm I'm, I'm kind of horrified. I'm, oh, I'm listening yeah. and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you have a bodyguard mm-hmm. for your own protection. It just makes me think about, like, you know, the way they house trans people in prison in, in solitary confinement for our own protection. Yeah, exactly. Always for our own protection. Allegedly. Yeah. So you had a, an adult follow you around from class to class, allegedly for your own protection, but ultimately to make sure that you didn't use the girls' bathroom yeah. in middle school. Was this all through, was your middle school three years, like sixth, seventh, eighth grade? or Three years. This was only through sixth grade because after that we left. Okay. We only did that one year. And the, the straw that broke the camel's back for that was I was going to go on um, this outing trip with all of my friends. We were all in this outing club and we were going to go whitewater rafting and there was an overnight camping trip. And I was so excited. All of my friends were going. And they said, of course, okay. Nicole can come. She's a member of the club. She cannot stay in a tent with the girls, though. She has to stay in a tent by herself or with her parents. And again, these are all the girls that I've had sleepovers with. 
And so we said, okay, well, what if we get a signed permission slip from, I mean, my parents were at that school every day trying to come up with solutions. Mm. What if we got a signed permission slip from all of the parents of all of the kids going, the boys and the girls, um, saying that they're okay with it? Oh, no, 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 that can't work. That can never work. Oh, that can, that's not possible. They would call ahead anywhere that we went on a field trip and say, hey, we have this student who looks like a girl. Don't let her use the girl's bathroom at your facility. And at that point, we just realized we're never going to get back to where we were. This is never going to work again. So my mom packed us up and my brother and my mom and I moved two hours south from Orno to Portland. Two and a half, actually. And Portland, Maine. In Maine, in Portland, Maine. And my dad stayed behind so he could keep his job at the university. Mm-hmm. And we only saw our dad on weekends. Mm-hmm. from then through the rest of high school. So we never lived with our dad again. And so you started over at a new school, and then where did you go stealth at the new school? Went stealth at the new school, and that's when we filed the lawsuit. And the important thing about the lawsuit, and the reason why we were ruled in favor of, one, because it's obviously a human rights violation, but two, this happened in 2007. In Maine, as of 2005, the Maine Human Rights Act lists gender identity, as well as sexual orientation as a protected class. Yes. So the lesson there being, had the school known the policy, known the law, know that they were well within their legal right, as well as moral right, to be doing what they were doing, that group wouldn't have had a single leg to stand on. And they could, yeah, go ahead, file your lawsuit. We're doing what the law requires. I mean, I think the reality right now is that... There is even more state laws that include gender identity and sexual orientation in their human rights law. And all of these bans against gender affirming care are a violation of that, but they don't care. They don't care. And the legislature is so, um, the judiciary system, I should say, is so conservative that when these things are challenged in court, they think that they can win and they they probably will right now. Yeah. So you won your case. How did it feel when you finally got the decision? Maybe anticlimactic because it takes so many years. I remember talking to Gavin Grimm about it. Yeah, after that point. Um, After all these years, you win the case. It's ruled in your favor. How did that make you feel? I remember being historic. I remember reading about it thinking it was interesting that you're from Maine and your last name is Maine's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and just being like really excited. And I remember reading a story where you met the governor of Maine or something. Is that right? I met some, I met senators. So I met Senator Olympia Snow when she was still in office. And I met Susan Collins. Um, full of shit. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, she talked a big game when I met with her. And now I'm seeing all the stuff she's doing. And I'm like, hmm. Interesting. She always talks a big game. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Susan, <laughs> I see you. Um, yeah. So I remember, <laughs> I remember um, when that came down, that was, it was so major. And I remember it being major, but very much like what Gavin said, it was a little anticlimactic for me because at that point I'm a, jun- a, j- a junior in high school and my old middle school, the superintendent had left because he thought he had another job lined up in Massachusetts. He didn't, um, and he quit prematurely. And then the principal was fired after changing students' test scores on standardized state tests. 
So both of them were not at the school anymore. So it felt a little like, I'm glad, but I really wanted to stick it to them. Mm-hmm. So that was for me. I mean, that that's just yeah. me being petty, but deservingly so. Oh, yeah. But it, it, I remember it being fantastic. But the hard part about that is similarly to what you were saying about um, the judiciary committees, even though it's on the books in Maine, and even though now we've set this legal precedent, I still hear from kids in Maine and especially more rural parts of the state who are saying, why is this happening? Why are they? And they're doing the same thing they did to me, even though Maine Human Rights Act and my case in the state Supreme Court enforcement is a whole other beast yeah and having it on the books is one thing and making sure that people are following the rules and it's it feels like putting out fires and playing a game of whack-a-mole we've had i like to remind people that we've had laws against racist treatment in this country for a very long time Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that racism went away no so there is the project of changing hearts and minds that needs to go along with legislative and judicial change. So you graduate from high school, you've done this historic thing, and then somehow you end up acting. (laughs) And it's something that you didn't plan on doing. I'm I'm reading somewhere. And you did did a guest spot on, what was the show? Um, Royal Pains. Royal Pains. Mm -hmm. And then Supergirl comes along, which is so iconic. And I was already watching Supergirl. And I think you came on the second season? Fourth. Fourth season. Oh, wow. Season okay. Four. So that, that, that far into it. Mm-hmm. Had you st- taken acting classes? I always wonder, like, did you study? How did acting, like, come to you? So for me, acting, I think, naturally came from my love of playing dress up. Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't know if this is the same for you, but that was my space where I was able to portray characters I related to or saw myself in. I was able to wear clothes that I identified with. And for my parents, that was like, oh, yeah, 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 he can do that. That's, he's just, he's just playing pretend. This is not indicative of anything larger and, and more uh, telling of what is to come. Mm-hmm. But so for me, acting just stems, I think, naturally from that. I just love playing dress up. I love playing in different sandboxes. Um, yeah. I love, I, I, I walk onto a set in an office and I'm like, sorry, where are the dragons? I'm sorry. What do you mean? No one has superpowers. What are we doing? Um, well, I mean, yeah, you, have, you, I mean, Dreamer or Nia, Nia Nall. Nia Nall. Is that who? Mm-hmm. Nia Nall, Dreamer, the first trans superhero on television. Yeah. More history. You're an historic young lady for being 26 years old. You made a lot of history already. I just want to play dress up. I love it. So what was the what was the audition process like? I understand that there were several callbacks. Yeah. Talk to talk to me about like first of all, how did you get into acting? Mm-hmm. Like how did Royal Pains happen? So much luck back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. So I Break it down. loved acting. I wanted to act. I didn't think it was possible being from Maine. It's you know, I'm on the complete opposite side of the country from where I need to be. Um I did school theater and that was about it. I did some local theater. Uh, not really not that much. I wasn't taking acting classes. I really didn't know what I was doing. And when Royal Pains came along, we, it was one of those situations where you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody in casting. And it somehow worked its way up the vine that they were looking for a trans performer with dance experience. And I had been doing dance for four years. And so they were like, oh, you should audition. So I went up to the college with my dad and we filmed my audition with 
Um, I, I filmed opposite the star quarterback, which I was like, ooh. And, <laughs> and, it's a little self-tape moment. Yeah, a good self-tape moment. I think Royal Payne shot in New York, right? In Brooklyn, yeah. In Brooklyn, yeah. And so then I had two callbacks with producers and got that and had an amazing time. And I remember being on set and just it just being so blown away by that experience. Um, and we had simultaneously been in talks to turn our story into something. We sold our life rights and we were working with producers and they knew my now agent. Got it. And they were saying that we're looking for trans talent to represent. He says, well, I just got back from Maine. I just spoke to this girl who did an episode of Royal Pains. He got to meet her. Next, I think I was in Los Angeles for the GLAAD Awards in 2016. And I met with my agents there in the hotel. Loved them. And they were like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I really like Arrow. And then nothing for three years. We had a bunch of auditions, but I was so green. And I then got cast as the lead in this mo- in this indie horror movie called Bits, um, where I was going to play a trans girl who gets turned into a vampire and falls in with a group of intersectional feminist vampires who stalk Los Angeles. So I was like, dope. And so I went and did that in May of 2018. And I had one day off and they said, hey, can Nicole send in another self-tape for Supergirl? And they said, oh, well, no need. She's in Los Angeles. She can go in. So I went in and I met with Sarah Schechter. Oh, it makes such a difference when you're in the room. Anyway, I hate self Oh, my God, it does. So I went in and I met with Jessica and Robert and Sarah. And the next day they asked me to be a superhero. I love it. I love it. And I remember your debut on the show and mm-hmm. the character coming out as trans. I love the little, the romantic tension between you and Brainy that mm-hmm. eventually turned into an actual, you know, real romance. That was so beautiful to see on TV. And I was just, as a, as a, an actress who, you know, four-time Emmy-nominated actress, Laverne Cox, um, who's very serious about the work, I was like, she's talented. She can act. Thank you. She, you were so natural <laughs> and you were so... You fit in the world so wonderfully, and your emotional flexibility was just there. And it just, I was just, it was oh just. God, I'm going to hold on to that. Thank you. <laughs> no, it was just really exciting. I was like, oh, she's, she's, she's actually good. You know, <laughs> like for me, it's about the talent. I love, I love talent. I love oh. when people are good at what they do. And you're just such a natural. Thank you. And now that you're in this world, you, you've gotten to play Dreamer on The Flash and in and, and different iterations of this um, sort of DC universe, yeah. which is so great. Have you done a Comic-Con yet? I did a couple Comic-Cons with the show, um, the last one being in 2019, and then we didn't get we didn't get to do one for our final season because you know pandemic. Yeah. But um, yeah, I love Comic Con. It was so much fun getting to meet people, and that's been the craziest thing: getting to see folks' reaction to Dreamer, not just trans folks, but cis people who are saying, "This is my favorite character. I love Dreamer. I love yeah. Mia so much. Oh my gosh!" Seeing parents who love Dreamer, kids who love Dreamer, seeing folks who dreamer made them feel comfortable to come out and to transition Mm. the impact of this character is so massive and it's so like that is why representation matters it changes the world and it changes people's lives and seeing people's reaction to dreamer seeing people's reaction to me especially when i was first announced at comic-con in 2018 they announced me at the supergirl panel and I came out on stage and there was like this sea of people who were cheering and clapping and excited mm. for this new trans person. Wow. And that was the moment for me 
especially after 2018, after everything with the election, after everything, I was like, there is hope. People are good. People want to see this progress and people want to see this change and people want to see everybody's stories and hear different experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and that was really amazing. I've often said, you know, it's the best of times since the worst of times because we have like unprecedented representation of trans folks in media mm-hmm. now. And obviously what we're seeing on, in state legislatures, it's a backlash against that. But there's so much love and support mm-hmm. that that I've gotten that you clearly get that is so inspiring and gives me such a sense of hope about the world and that folks can see your humanity through your characters yeah. and through your interviews. Your Ellen interview was so beautiful. Oh, and you. I think that it's just a reminder that like the there's so many people out there with so much love in their hearts who are yeah. open and aren't down with this, you know, this attack that's going yeah. on. I think that's the minority of folks who have yeah. this agenda that's really not about us. And so we have to stay in the love and stay in the commitment to being who we are. And even though... I have to I have to work really hard not to get depressed when I see everything going on legislatively cuz it's hard for me I'm in a place where every like professionally things are wonderful I'm in love mm-hmm. you seem to be in this man on your Instagram honey Nate Nate we love Nate this fine oh. man on your Instagram honey Thank you TikTok thank you TikTok You met on TikTok Yes because I he came up on my for you page um as like and He is definitely for you girl <laughs> Like, so wait, he came up on your For You page, up, and then what happened? He came up on my For You page, like, with a lightsaber, shirtless, and I said, mm, you'll do. Yeah. So I started leaving, like, thirsty comments <laughs> in his videos. Yeah. <laughs> and um, thank goodness for um, the blue check, because that put my comments right to the top. And so he saw them, and he reached out to me on Instagram and said, Hey, you seem cool. We should be friends. And he tells the story so cute because he's like, Oh, you know, I never thought, you know, I just wanted to be your friend. I never had any ulterior motives. And I was like, I was being a whore, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad he wanted to be my friend. You had ulterior motives. Okay, it's that time again. We'll be right back. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. We are back. 
So my my current boyfriend, my last three boyfriends had never dated a trans woman yeah. before me. Had he thought about dating a trans woman, dated a trans woman? No, never. Did he know that you were trans when you messaged him? Mm-mm. Like, what of that? Because a lot of trans folks out there struggle with oh, dating. Goodness. And I do think, I talked to my friends who aren't famous who are trans, I think we're legitimized as like being on TV yeah. in a way that makes men a little bit more open yeah. to dating. Uh, at least that's my experience. It I think. feels like a spoonful of sugar for me a little bit. Like, uh-huh. um, oh, she's trans but she's on TV. Like, that's so awful to say. So I think it's different for us. So what, did he know initially that you were trans? No. Okay, how did he just, did he Google? What what was... So I I don't know if he initially knew. I think he he found out naturally just by looking at me and and talking and and reading about me. But he's so wonderful. And, and, oh God, I hope you get to meet him someday because he is so just, Sort of like how, how we talk about kids, like when they're like, who cares? So it was, was there a discussion? Like what was like the, oh, you're trans Not really. Talk. There wasn't this big talk. It was for him. He was, it was only ever really just like, yeah, you're a woman. So, and he just, it's not a big deal to him. And he's now become such an ally and such an advocate. And he does these amazing videos on TikTok where you know, he'll get hate comments for, for just being with a trans woman. Um, my ex, who I was public with, like, mm. experienced that. Yeah. And he was very, he was strong and stuff. And my current boyfriend, I'm just, I'm keeping him off social media. Yeah. There's a part of me that really wants to protect my man. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. how does he handle the hate comments? Because, like, people would comment, oh, you're gay, you know, and yeah. they would just sort of assume that. And so how does he deal with that? Well, he's, uh, we're in a weird position. Um, he doesn't really care about people saying, like, oh, you're gay. People thought he was gay anyway, because he's, you know, for the same reason he was on my For You page, he's on a lot of gay men's For You page. Well, he does fitness, like, right? He's like a fitness dude. He does fitness. He does cosplay. He does these really sexy, like, hot dude thirst traps. So, of course, gay men are like... He's very famous with the gays. (laughs) We, We were in Toronto recently, and we went to Woody's, a drag bar, and this girl saw him, and we were also with our friend Shane, and they're both very big on TikTok, and this girl saw them screaming screaming like oh my god I have to get a picture with you and I kind of get like shoved out of the way and I was like my boyfriend's more gay famous than I am my straight boyfriend's more gay famous than I am what the fuck um but but no so he doesn't really care and when he does respond he responds with like these beautifully articulated videos where he's just like why is this a problem I love her. She loves me. I see her and I see a woman. I am not mm-hmm. bothered by anything else. And I've been very fortunate that my relationships have been that way. Um, mm-hmm. My partner before Nate, when I was in college, I remember he was fine with it. Didn't have a problem. Um, this was scary though. I was going to meet his parents for the first time. Oh, that's so stressful. Girl. <laughs> It gets worse. I've met many parents and they end up loving me and I'm great with parents, but it's so stressful. I just met Nate's mom and I was like, moms love me. I'm not worried. Yeah. If you're listening. Hey, Cheryl, how are you doing? (laughs) So I was going to meet this boy's parents and we are halfway there on the highway. And he looks over at me and he says, I have to tell you something. My parents are Trump supporters and they don't know you're trans. On the way to meet them. On the way to meet them. Uh Uh-huh. Cut to me doing a very real cost versus risk benefit 
analysis in my head, am I more likely to die going to this house or if I tuck and roll going 70 on the highway? Wow. I mean, you don't have to necessarily disclose that you're trans either. Oh, we did not. Oh, we did not. This was just after the 2016 election. They left Fox News on in the background while we ate dinner, just talking about how Trump had removed the federal protections for trans people and talking about how great that was on the TV as I'm sitting there next to my boyfriend and his parents. I'm like, I'm going to die in this fucking house. I'm going to fucking die in this house. It's like the trans version of Get Out. (laughs) It's totally (laughs) the trans version of Get Out. But they ended up loving me. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Did they find out that you disclosed? Yeah, and I and I had conversations with his mom. Her big hang-up was sports. And she was very, um, but what about fairness? What about this? What about that? What? And I was like, okay, first of all, pay women athletes the same. Then come to me and talk about fairness. Second, I said, listen, I did sports in school. And let me tell you, I'm not exaggerating when I said I was the absolute worst on the team. Consistent bench warmer. It was not a matter of having an advantage against anybody else. It was a matter of trying to get me any kind of advantage because this poor girl was Mm. suffering so much. There's so many misconceptions about trans folks. And, you know, I I had a conversation with Chase Strangio from ACLU on, on last season of the podcast. And we talked about how I find it really interesting that as they're trying to ban gender affirming care for kids, they also want to ban us from sports. And like the advantage, if there is an advantage that trans people have, and there's always advantages in sports, it happens with puberty. Mm -hmm. So for those people who have access and want to do puberty blockers, then all the sort of physical advantages don't happen. And then I'm looking at you and you're so gorgeous. And like so much of transition as an adult is like trying to reverse what happens in puberty, the masculinizing that happens in puberty. And if you can spare a trans child that if they want to, if the parents, if it's recommended with your doctor, whatever, I think that's a Mm -hmm. wonderful thing. Ultimately, I think it's not anybody's business but the parent, the child and the doctor. Okay, thank you very much. I'm so jealous of people who got to like, not, I remember puberty was so traumatizing for me. Yeah. And this, I'm 50 years old. So this was years ago. And if I had known and there was access to go through puberty yeah. as a girl, like what a difference yeah. that would have made in my life. Well, you know, it all boils back down to trying to erase us from public existence. They're saying, oh, you can't be in sports because you have an advantage. And we say, okay, well, if we can get the care when we want to, that advantage, which really doesn't exist in the first place. But just entertaining you, this hypothetical advantage. Imagine this advantage. imagined advantage wouldn't even exist if we can get the health care that we want before puberty. Oh, well, you can't do that because you're clearly being groomed and you have to wait until you're an adult. Okay, well, then can I at least use the girl's bathroom? No, you can't because you're a man. You went through male puberty. You were raised as a man. Okay, well, can I transition younger? Absolutely not. So it's, there's no way for trans people to exist in their world. It only boils down to they just don't want us to exist. And that ship has fucking sailed. But the beautiful thing is we do. We're here. Yeah. We are, um, so many of us are thriving. So many of us are struggling. And I think it's important to acknowledge, like, you know, the wonderful privilege that we have. Most trans people don't have. Just access to any kind of gender-affirming care is expensive. To live in a state where we have rights. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the battle continues, the journey continues, but Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful for folks to see 
when we're thriving, to see that it is possible to be healthy, happy, successful professionally, in love, in love, all the things, you know, that Mm -hmm. that it's possible to have be trans and have a life. And we it's so important that we live our lives be in our joy, show the world that there is joy in the face of all of this horrible stuff. What else do you want to say about all these laws, about the state of things? What else do you want to say to the world, to other trans or just anybody listening out there? There's so much. Um, First of all, I want people to start standing with trans folks. I think that it's very easy for our trauma to be left up to us because we are such a small community Mm -hmm. we need to see the same kind of outrage and same kind of support behind every other movement throughout history that we've seen because trans people have been right there at the front lines whenever it comes to civil rights whenever it comes to human decency whenever it comes to fighting bigotry and fighting hatred. And we need to see all of those communities standing with trans people now because it affects all of us. And it's all connected. It's all connected. You know, when I was on MSNBC a few weeks ago, it was important for me to like, acknowledge that as we see this rise in anti-Semitism, that, you know, the Nazis, one of the first things Mm -hmm. they did was burn Magnus Hirschfeld's Clinic for Human Sexuality. So this rise in anti-Semitism, we should be careful to not like have see history repeating right now. So that as we fight anti-Semitism, as we need to be fighting transphobia, racism, all of the things. It's all connected because it all shares the same root of, of a group of people thinking that they are inherently better than somebody else for some arbitrary reason that nobody can control. I've been talking a lot about this with my therapist. And I think that it's important that while we, we can recognize the differences in our histories and our experiences and say, it has not been the same for me as it has been for you. I can never possibly imagine what it's been like to be a Jewish person living in America, to be a Black person living in America. But I understand that bigotry and hatred sucks for me and I'm pretty sure it sucks for you too. So let's, Mm -hmm. I think we all need to start working together and start marching and standing together rather than, I think there's a lot of squabbling amongst ourselves and there's a lot of division. Um, And since the dawn of time, you know, they've been dividing and conquering, but there's, more of us who don't fit into this mythical norm of being the straight, white, cis, Christian, but the right kind of Christian, uh, not this kind, not that kind, like this this mythical idea of what is normal. Yeah. The majority of us don't fit into that. And we all need to link up and become that bigger, scarier animal and say, we reject this. We reject hatred in any form we reject bigotry in any form because it was bad when it happened to us it was bad when it happened to you it's always fucking bad yeah yeah thank you for that that was beautiful oh so 
I like to end every podcast with the question, what else is true? It comes from my therapy. Okay. Um, and the idea of both and, even when we are struggling, even when there's something difficult for us, that is true. And we can focus on that, but something else is true as well. Yeah. And if we focus on that other thing that's true, that thing that's affirming, that's positive, that's a resource that can shift our nervous systems, that mm-hmm. can shift our awareness mm-hmm. and it can help us get through. Yeah. So for you today, Nicole Maines, okay. what else is true? I'm having fun. Mm. I'm having a lot of fun. I mm. have admired you for a very long time. So it's very mm. exciting for me to finally get to be able to talk to you. Thank you. I am writing comic books. I know. I am, you didn't even get to talk about that. I, That's incredible. So much fun. Laverne, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, I love it. I'm in love, like I said, playing video games every night with my boyfriend, even though he's not here. We're spending time together. <laughs> what video games? I, what, any particular game you like? We're big into Overwatch 2 right now. Okay. Um, he's really good at it. I'm only okay. But um, I'm reading my favorite book series to him. Um, I'm showing him shows from my childhood that I like that he's seeing for the first time. I'm having a lot mm. of fun. And I just wrapped season two of Yellow Jackets which was Amazing. so much fun. I'm having a blast. I interviewed Melanie Lansky from my show for being honest. She's so amazing. I love her so much. She's incredible. I love all of them so much. So I'm having a really good time. So that's what I'm focusing on. As all of this is happening, as I am in the throes of depression and feeling defeated so often, every time I open my phone, I feel like it's a punch to the gut. I'm still having fun. Seems like a lot of your dreams have come true and are coming true. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to run out. I'm getting a little nervous. You just make new dreams. That's what you do. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nicole Maines. You're a treasure and we'll have to do it again. I would love to. Nicole Maines. Oh, wow. So much of what happened in her childhood just, I find, (laughs) horrifying and traumatizing and... Oh, what a gift that she's come out of it so happy. And I think that has to be attributed to therapy. We love therapy and to loving parents. I just love hearing about her parents being there and supporting her with that level of support. You can raise happy, healthy trans kids. And I really believe that what kids need more than anything else is to know that they are deeply and profoundly loved, cared for, and protected. And what I hear in Nicole's story are parents who deeply loved her, cared for her, and protected her. And certainly everyone isn't living, you know, this fairy tale life almost that Nicole is living, but she's just such a wonderful light. She gives me so much hope for young people. Her boyfriend and how open he is gives me hope for like men who find themselves attracted to trans women. And I hope that you've been inspired by this conversation and it's made you think about all those struggles that she went through as a kid and she's come out with such resilience and such confidence. It's just awesome. Thank you 
so much for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Laverne Cox, and on Facebook at Laverne Cox For Real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.